Welcome to a special episode of the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. The COVID-19 pandemic has impacted how so many of us do our jobs. As circumstances continue to change, it's important for workers to receive the training they need to stay safe and healthy. Here with me to discuss the steps safety professionals can take to keep their workers up to date on the latest training in this changing environment, we're happy to welcome back Jeff Dalto. Jeff is a learning and workplace professional with Convergence Training and Vector Solutions. We would like to note before we begin that the information shared in this podcast is based on the data that were available from trusted sources and the phase of response in the U.S. on April 16, 2020. As the situation continues to change rapidly, please refer to guidance from your local or state public health organization. And uh, with that, uh, Jeff, uh, welcome on. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks, Scott. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, hi to everybody out there. Um, this is being recorded during a pandemic, so I just want to say I uh, hope you guys are all safe and healthy out there, your families, your loved ones, your coworkers, physically and mentally. And yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be talking about uh, safety training during a weird and crazy time, Scott. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, a lot to tackle. And I thought when we're talking about training, I thought we could start with OSHA requirements specifically. So in light of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, has OSHA made any changes to their safety or training requirements? Yeah. Um, actually, since you and I last talked about this, uh, OSHA published a guidance it, on April 13th, so just a few days ago, they published a guidance called the Interim Enforcement Guidance Plan. And I encourage everyone to go out there and read it. It's uh, You can find it. OSHA has a safety and health topic page devoted to COVID-19 with links to all their uh, different guidances they're publishing right now. Again, this is April 13th, Interim Enforcement Guidance Plan. And it's a big, long document, but to boil it down into the two topics that are relevant to us today, they say that OSHA is still going to be enforcing violations, uh, and that includes things like safety training. Then there's a particular topic on training and information where uh, they cover what you have to say uh, or train workers on. And they've got four bullet points. One is if people are using PPE, explain why it's being used and tell them how to use it. Um, explain how to use basic hygiene, you know, hand washing, covering your, your mouth when you sneeze and social distancing and why they're effective. And then the classic one about make sure that you're giving this training in a language that people understand. And then a note about posting signs, asking workers, customers, and others to follow basic hygiene practices. I recommend you guys all check that out. I encourage you to check out that OSHA safety and health topic page frequently and keep your eye out for a new guidance on safety training. And then the last thing I wanna talk about is an existing OSHA letter of letters of interpretation about the use of online safety training. Um, obviously, in a situation where it's not necessarily safe to be together with a group of people uh, to do face-to-face or instructor-led training, a lot of people, safety training uh, trainers and just normal trainers, are making a move to online as much as possible right now. It's important to keep in mind two letters of interpretation from OSHA. One is from uh, 1994. One is from 2019. They're both pretty consistent, um, but it's worth reading them both. So again, I encourage you guys to check these out. The uh, takeaways, the bullet point takeaways is, yes, you can use online safety training. In the the hands-on, I'm sorry, in the 1994 letter of interpretation, they really emphasize 
that that um, online safety training has to in some way incorporate an element of hands-on training. Um, so you're still going to have to give people hands-on training, for example, how to, how to put on an N95 respirator. You can't just have them watch a video. And then, and then the 2019 letter of interpretation goes a little further. They talk about the need for what they call interaction, which means uh, the ability to ask questions and receive feedback and even tell you how you can incorporate that into on, with online at that time. And um, uh, in one of these, 2019 or 94, they were talking about, well, you can set up a telephone hotline. There are probably faster ways to do that with like a webinar tool these days. And then again, they em emphasize the hands-on training. Now, how how is OSHA going to enforce this and, and how strictly? I don't know. But those are the things to keep in mind. Sure. Now, with regard to the, the you mentioned the, the face-to-face uh, training specifically, what are uh, the, the specific concerns about face-to-face -face training in light of COVID-19? Right. So I, I guess I'll preface this by saying uh, I'm, I'm a learning professional, not an industrial hygienist or a virologist or a public health expert. But um, I think we all know this is an, uh, a disease that's essentially airborne. Um, and maybe the, they were talking initially that, you know, essentially spit droplets uh, can, can travel maybe as far as six feet. Maybe you can get it that way. Or maybe if those spit droplets land on a physical object, you touch that object and put your hand to your mouth, you can get ill that way. But there's also been uh, increased speculation that instead of droplets and a six foot radius, we might, and we might need to be concerned about uh, aerosols that are possibly being created just by our talking or our breathing. So it's not just sneezing. And, and that maybe a, a more prudent distance instead of a six foot distance would be 20 foot or 26 foot. And, and for those out there uh, might be familiar, there was a article that came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association positing that. And there are other reliable, incredible sources as well. So my concern, and I think a reasonable concern for many people, is maybe this is not the best time to be doing some form of face to face training in general. And maybe you'd want to like, if you want to communicate verbally, a better way is to do it online. And the other thing I'd call out is a lot of times in face-to-face -face training or classroom training, you know, we're, we're, we're all giving demonstrations, then practicing using the same tools, right? So that's really going to increase the, the, the transmission possibility. And, and, and then another classic uh, thing we do in, in classroom training is, is we, we hand things around. So those are my, my primary concerns, the uh, aeros aerosolization issue. The um, using the same tool issue and the passing things around issue. And there are things that people should keep in mind to not make safety and health training itself become a health hazard. Definitely. That's a, that's a very good point. Now, on that note, as safety professionals evaluate their training programs in this new environment, what are some alternatives to that face-to-face -face training? Right. So as probably everybody knows, uh, one of the big alternatives is this thing that we call online learning. But uh, that's, a, that's another one of these bucket categories, is, and it's, made, it's not as simple as it might sound. And we'll, we'll break this down a little bit more um, as we continue on. But, but if you think about the things that you can deliver online, th this can be something as simple as uh, a PDF, uh, your PowerPoint deck. It could be a recorded video. It could be a podcast like you and I are doing now. It can be a, a live webinar. 
It could be uh, a recorded webinar, so that takes us back to a video. Uh, it could be something called a virtual classroom. We'll talk a little bit more about that briefly. Uh, kind of classic e-learning courses. And, and then, you know, there are newer things out there that might certain, probably not a lot of people are going to gear up on quickly, um, but worth knowing, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, and then uh, chatbots. And, and uh, you can also use like email and your messenger services to deliver some information and training online as well. Okay, diving uh, diving a little deeper into into those uh, those options you just talked about, I wonder if you could kind of walk us through you know the differences between you know webinars, recorded videos, e learning, uh, regular video training, kind of the the differences between those and how uh, safety professionals can decide which is the best option for their workforce. Sure. So the the thing you should always think about in training uh, when you're trying to pick a training delivery method like what we're talking about now is you know why am I why am I choosing this one? And the answer should always be because this training delivery method will help me best achieve my desired learning outcome. So within the constraints of a pandemic, I just want to highlight uh, the difference between uh, the four, four of the major things we talked about. We'll dive deeper into the, that briefly. Um, but, but always keep in mind, why am I doing this? And does this actually help improve learning effectiveness? So you know, a video is just like what it sounds like, but you need to keep in mind it's entirely passive. It's a one-way experience. There's going to be no um, practice opportunity. There's going to be no feedback. So, you know, this is an information delivery method. It's nice because it can include visuals as well. There might be times when this is appropriate, but remember, it's entirely passive. It, it, it fails on almost every, on, as a standalone solution, it fails on almost every uh, adult learning principle out there. Uh, a webinar is basically uh, similar to a, to a video. It's a person talking and people listening. Now, you do have a little more opportunity for Q&A, which is nice, right? So you get a little feedback, a little questioning, but but certainly it's not uh, analogous to what we, you, know, you do in a really good instructor-led training classroom session. Uh, so again, probably best for broadcasting information. You do get some ability to do some Q&A. You know, unless there's a lot of people, you can read some facial expressions. That kind of thing is helpful. But that's about it. Uh, if you take that webinar and record it, now you're back down to video again. It's just a passive experience. And, th and then this thing called a virtual class. And, and that you conduct a virtual class with a webinar tool, like with Zoom or whatever you have to be using right now, Scott. So the, plat the platform is the same. But what you're doing is you're taking a bunch of... Uh, you're putting it in work in designing this so that a lot of the uh, active learning things you're doing in classrooms, you know, whiteboard exercises and, you know, breakout exercises and small group exercises, you're going to simulate that in the web with the webinar tool. So it's not just you talking and taking a few questions. It takes a lot more uh, pre-thought and, and design and planning, and you're trying to replicate as best you can all the great things you do in a really great instructor-led classroom session. Um, and if, if I can take a moment to point out, there's a woman from New Zealand. Uh, her name is Jacinta Penn, J-A-C-I-N-T-A Penn, P-E-N-N. -N. And just yesterday on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, I saw her posting a fantastic little two-column chart about uh, things that you do in instructor-led training, and here's the equivalent in Zoom. So I would definitely recommend uh, you guys all check out Jacinta Penn. 
uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn. She's with a company called Workbrite, and she had a great little transition uh, two-column table for that. And then the, the last thing uh, is uh, e-learning courses. This is the kind of uh, thing you tend to buy from companies, or you can make them on your own. They're, you know, you, they have content, they have practice opportunities, they have practice questions, they have a test. Usually you deliver them through a learning management system. So those are kind of the big buckets. And those are the things you should be thinking about um, when you're when you're talking about going online. Okay, great. Now, uh, going a little deeper into each of those options, I we kind of walk through some some best practices for each of those. Let's start with with video. So if, if you do decide, you know, video is the option you want to pursue, you know, what, uh, what are the best practices people should keep in mind to make sure that video training sticks with them after the training is over? Right. So for, for, for all of these, Scott, as we kind of dig deeper, I'm going to recommend using these at, in a blend where you're not using them on their own, but you're going to use uh, multiple different methods to create mm-hmm. a blend. For okay. video, you know, some, some nice things to know, you know, it's, it's asynchronous. Asynchronous means people will do it alone on their own at their own pace. And, and actually there's, there's a lot of benefits sometimes to self-paced learning. Um, if people are going to maybe go through it at different speeds, asynchronous is great. If, if it could require people to kind of like reflect and chew on it, asynchronous is great. So video can be really good for that. And obviously it's a really good way to deliver information or just broadcast, if you will. And it's also a really good way to incorporate uh, visuals in your message, including possibly some sophisticated visuals. People learn, uh, studies have shown people learn procedures and processes uh, really well from videos. And and we all know this because we all use YouTube to figure out how to fix our plumbing and our washer dryer at home, right? That's a (laughs) reasonable way to do it. And with all training, I would keep, keep in mind, you know, consider the micro learning approach to, to, to videos and, you know, keep it short and keep it down to the, the basics. Okay. Moving into uh, webinars and going back to that uh, blended model you're talking about, how do webinars fit in that or what are, and what are some best practices uh, for our, our listeners to use with webinars? Right. So keep in mind, again, a, a webinar is basically, you know, a way to broadcast information. But we do, did say, hey, you've got, it's not synchronous anymore. You have a lot of, you have a group of people there and you have the ability for some Q&A and some reading of facial expressions. So take advantage of that Q&A. Be certain to ask more questions maybe than you might even during um, instructor-led training. You know, and if you look at the research, people tend to, if they're in a, a webinar, it's very easy to pop off to a different computer program or to pop into a different tab. You really need to create an active learning experience if you want to keep anybody's attention for more than I'm making this up, but 40 seconds to five minutes. And and studies show that people usually completely quit listening to any any kind of video or or webinar stuff within like five minutes if if they're not interacting with it. So use that that Q&A feature. uh, Ask more questions. Pause longer until somebody actually uh, responds than you might in a classroom. And then, then remember, you've got a bunch of people in in a webinar tool together, and they can chat with each other as well. It doesn't have to be all you. So you can also um, kind of facilitate letting them speak together using that chat feature or if, if you can manage it a little bit more uh, with a, their own videos as well, their camera feeds. Okay. 
Uh, moving into the the virtual learning, what are some situations where that might be well suited to virtual learning activities, and how can safety professionals best utilize that? What we're really talking about here is virtual classrooms, and that's when you're using a webinar platform to try to simulate all the great stuff you do in the best instructor-led uh, training classroom sessions. So, um, again, you can't take a the PowerPoint that you might have used in um, a classroom session and just assume that's going to do all the magic on its own because in instructor -led training, the, the real magic comes not from your PowerPoint, but it comes from you, the instructor, plus the interactions between you and, and, and the audience, and then the individual uh, contributions made by the audience themselves. But but here you're trying to you know remember all the great things you're doing in, in classroom uh small breakout groups, whiteboard exercises, uh, anything you can, and you're trying to find a, a webinar-based equivalent of it. And again, I, I the best resource I saw on this was by Jacinta Penn, J-A-C-I-N-T-A Penn, out of uh, New Zealand and Workbrite, where she gives you a nice little table of, if you do this in classroom training, here's how to do this in Zoom. So try to make that a really active learning experience following those tips. Okay, great. Now, wrapping up those uh, those different methods, let's uh, talk about e-learning courses and you know the best practices for that and how safety professionals can best integrate those kind of tools into their safety training. Great. So going back to our distinction between synchronous and asynchronous learning activities, remember synchronous means we're doing it together at the same time. Asynchronous means every individual person's taking it alone, possibly at different times. And, and an e-learning course is asynchronous. So you're not going to get the benefits of collaboration and, and feedback within that learning activity. Now, maybe you will uh, follow that up with, with a, you know, maybe a, a virtual classroom. But within the e-learning course itself, it's going to be synchronous. So you're not going to get those benefits that you get in asynchronous from having people together. But you will, you will get benefits from giving people ta a chance to uh, go through it at their own pace, to... Um, uh, stop and reflect on things, and also to, to, to practice on their own. Um, in terms of how to, you know, and you can buy e-learning courses. There are a million people who make these. Um, so, you know, so if that's the approach you want to go, fine. You can also make your own, and it's not super complicated. Um, I guess I have a, a couple cautions or words of advice on that. First is don't just take a PowerPoint, again, that you use for instructor-led training, put it into one of these uh, tools called an e-learning authoring tool. This, these are the software products you can buy to make it your own e-learning authoring course. Um, don't just take your PowerPoint and think it's a, just pop it into this e-learning course and, and that's it. Because again, you're, you're losing all the magic of what happens in a classroom. So it can't be a one-to-one -one transition. You have to rethink what are the active learning activities I want people to perform in this e-learning course. Um, one of the best tips I saw for how to do uh, how to make your own e-learning courses really quickly right now during like you know pandemic courses uh, came from a woman named Connie Malamed. She's a learning research professional. She's fantastic. I recommend people check it out. And she said, "Hey, don't don't focus that much on content in your e-learning course because people can get content other places. What what you should do now, especially now, is make sure your e-learning course is involving a lot of opportunity for practice and active learning. And then if you need to, you can go back and, and um, add stuff later, or, or maybe just never add content to your e-learning course, knowing that people can read a PDF or, or watch a video. 
But think about using that e-learning course as an opportunity for, for active learning exercises that really help people uh, comprehend, retain, and later transfer whatever you're, what skill they're learning to the job. Oh, and I guess one last point. A lot of times e-learning courses are meant to be delivered through something called a learning management system. And that's fine. If you're making your own courses, you can publish in, in one of the standard formats that, that make them compatible with learning management systems. Those formats are AICC, SCORM, and Experience API. But no, you don't need to have a uh, learning management system. So you can publish instead in HTML5 and put it on your SharePoint, put it on a website, whatever. And so you don't have to make that investment of an LMS if you're not ready to. Something you mentioned that's kind of interwoven throughout all this is the importance of having a blended learning model. I wonder if you could touch on that a little more, You know how that ties in with OSHA compliance and really gives you a well-rounded safety and health training program. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So um, as we kind of, we talked about a few times, when you're creating training and any delivery method, you should be asking yourself, well, you know, why am I choosing this delivery method? What are the advantages that it offers to me? in terms of helping my learners attain a specific learning outcome, right? And and so backing up, um, research shows that blended learning solutions um, tend to lead to the best learning outcomes. There are multiple meta studies, not just studies, but meta studies on this. Uh, So blended learning is better when you can. Also keep in mind that at least according to my reading of the OSHA letter of interpretations we talked about regarding safety training and online safety training from 1994 and 1996 with their requirements for Q&A, feedback, and hands-on practice, that largely necessitates some form of blended learning. People have to be doing something in the physical world. So you, you not only does blended learning give you better results generally, but blended learning also is probably necessary for OSHA compliance, um, although I'm not an enforcement officer. But, but then you, you should, again, think about, hmm, if I'm going to create a blend, why am I selecting a certain training delivery method? What are the advantages? And, and so on. So that's what I would encourage people to be kind of thoughtful and, and uh, to use intent when shoot, selecting a specific training delivery method. Absolutely. No. With with things changing so rapidly, you know, safety professionals just trying to keep up with everything, stay up on on the latest training, everything. What what advice would you give uh, safety professionals as as they work to develop and improve their training programs? You know, what, what should what should be their goal? What's the most important things to for them to keep in mind? You know, in this rapidly changing environment. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll try to address that in in one or two ways, but. But first of all, hey, everybody knows that things are crazy. Everybody knows that we're all doing more if we're if we're if we are employed. And uh, my thoughts are with those who aren't. But if we are employed, we all know that um, everyone's working way more. And we all know a lot of us who are working from home are working way more in, you know, sometimes new circumstances. And our kids have moved home and everything's difficult. Everyone gets that. And so and, and, and you've. You're going to get a little uh, more generosity of spirit from people. So know that things don't have to be perfect. It's okay. People understand. None of us are perfect. On, on the flip side, though, don't don't think don't take that as permission just to just roll out garbage. You know, first of all, it's just a waste of your time. It's a waste of your company's money. It's a waste of your your learners' time. Um, 
and, and, and so you want to make training that's still effective. You're going to want to use those ev- evidence-based training methods we're talking about, choose delivery methods for, for a real reason, and, and so on. Um, also, if you, if you roll out online training and, and you're just rolling out garbage right now and because you're, you're, you're frantic and, and feel like you just need to plug a hole, um, and especially if it's an introduction of online training at your workplace, you know, it's going to fail. And people are going to be less likely to want to continue it, or, or that'll be the end of your, your program. And, and you know, it's easy enough to see that even after this pandemic, we might have a new normal and make online training much more accepted than it had been in the past. And you don't want people's first, ex- first exposure to be negative right off the bat just because you rushed something out. So, you know, do less, not more. Choose the uh, most critical things. Don't try to replace your entire training program. This is a great time to ask yourself what what really is important. Why am I doing all the things I've currently been doing and how many of them were truly necessary? I think that's something we're all learning at work is all the stuff we were doing that really maybe wasn't that helpful or that important because we're all focusing on the things that are important. Um, so, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Don't throw out garbage. Try to do less, including, you know, Connie Malamit's point, don't make an e-learning course uh, that, that focuses on content as much, focus just on practice opportunities, right? That's a great idea. Um, but speaking on, you know, training on the most critical issues, not not the less critical issues is also important. And, and instead of developing training sometimes, uh, think first, this is something I got from a guy named Guy Wallace. He's, he's a human performance uh, technology specialist. Think first about creating uh, performance support, uh, something that your workers can access right at the moment they need uh, that'll teach them how to do it right then, as opposed to having to like go through training and hope they remember it two weeks down the road. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, any uh, any final uh, tips, advice uh, for our listeners out there as uh, they you know work to improve their safety and health training programs as uh, as we wrap up? Yeah. Well, again, I just want to repeat the idea of uh, use a blended approach when you can. Think of using different delivery methods for, for specific logical reasons. You know, be intentful on that. And, and you're choosing these methods because they provide learning benefits. If you're, not, if you're unfamiliar with like adult learning principles in general, and in particular, evidence-based training practices, things that we know make training more effective, gear up on that. And then I recommend getting some advice from experts. And there are a ton of great people who for years have been sharing information about evidence-based training practices. And more recently are giving all sorts of free information about how to how to manage training and shift to online training right now during the pandemic. And, and if I can uh, throw out some names that I found really helpful recently, um, Michelle Ockers out of Australia had an amazing series. She does great work in general, but she had an amazing series on this issue recently, talking with a bunch of experts. Those experts included Shannon Tipton and Joe Cook, uh, talking about... Um, live online learning, the webinars and the virtual classrooms. Connie Malamid talking about e-learning courses. I saw a great model for blended learning from Arun Pradhan, A-R-U-N-P-R-A-D-H-A-N out of Australia. I really like Bob Mosher's uh, Mosher, M-O-S-H-E-R, Five Moments of Training Need. There's a guy out there named Will Talheimer who, who has great stuff and has been giving stuff away for free. And, and there's more. So um, consult some of these experts. They always do good work. And right now they're working overtime like all of us and their overtime has tended to be given out a lot of free, helpful information on this topic. 
Okay, great. Yeah, sounds like a lot of a lot of really great uh, resources out there. So, uh, okay, great. Uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Jeff. I hope our listeners will take a look at these uh, these different you know learning resources and tools and think about how they can use them to uh, improve their safety and health uh, training program during this pandemic. So, uh, thank you again. Hey, thank you, Scott. Glad you're healthy, everybody out there. Thanks for your time. I hope you're all healthy and stay healthy. Take care, both physically and mentally, and uh, we'll be in touch. You can find additional information and resources about how you can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 at ASSP.org slash COVID-19. We hope you've enjoyed this special episode of the ASSP Safety Standards and Tech Pubs podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.